It's another episode of Dream Nation Love, and I'm your host, Yulia. Welcome to the show. Today, I have Len May as a guest. He is the CEO and co-founder of Endicana Health, a bioscience technology company. If you've tuned in in the past, you know I'm a big advocate for cannabis. And on this episode, we'll be talking all about cannabis and your DNA. Lent's company is basically 23andMe for weed. You can get your results done through them, or you can send them out to 23andMe and then send them out to Endocana Health, and they'll figure out your genetic composition, basically, and how it interacts with cannabis. It's really interesting. I'm going to do a test for myself, and I'm going to do a whole entire podcast with Len about it when I get my test results back in a little bit. It's going to be really great. Len has more than 25 years of cannabis and genomics experience. He also holds a Master's of Medical Cannabis and a Certificate in Endocannabinoid Formulation from the Institute for the Advancement of Integrative Medicine. We'll talk about the endocannabinoid system, terpenes, and how your genetics play a role in your canna experience. It's a really interesting podcast. We also talk about how to speak to boomers and uh, your grandparents about cannabis use and um, how to get them off pills and into basically cannabis if they have things that bother them. It's a really interesting show. Uh, Len is also a published author. His book is called Making Cannabis Personal. Check it out. And he's also the host of a popular Everything is Personal podcast. Enjoy the show. Len, thank you so much for being on the show. I love the work that you're doing. You're like the 23 and me of cannabis. And we've been trying- 23 and weed. 23 and weed, yes. You know, I just had the mother of the founder of 23 and me on my podcast a while ago, Esther Wojcicki. Her daughter started 23andMe, and then her other daughter is the CEO of YouTube. So she was on the podcast about her book a while back, but back to the weed. I've been meaning to do this for myself, and it's just been so busy. Like, we went into a pandemic. I got pregnant. I had a baby. It's just been, like, nonstop, and I haven't been smoking weed. Thanks. I have no weed and no coffee since I became pregnant and since I'm breastfeeding. And it's like, how am I alive? <laughs> what about CBD? How do you feel no about CBD, that? No CBD, nothing. I'm, you know what? Uh, there haven't been any studies on CBD and pregnancy that I've looked at. And I've been right. going everywhere. And I have so many body aches because I'm an athlete. Like my yeah. shoulder's killing me right now. So I've just been doing Epsom salt baths because... You know, part of me thinks that CBD is probably fine if I'm pregnant. I'm like cannabinoids, you know, it's natural. But another part of me is like, you know what? I don't really want to chance it. So I've been just, you know, no caffeine. I've been no coffee, no, yeah. no nothing. No nothing. Well, you can at it's, least use a topical, I guess, because it's not transdermal. Well, that's what I was thinking. But then I was like, everything that's topical goes into my breast milk. Like everything just enters my body, I think. Well, not everything. Like if I have a coli poisoning or like some kind of a food poisoning, I know that right. won't go into breast milk. So that will stay contained in my stomach. But I don't have enough science to know if anything that's in my bloodstream will enter my breast milk. Yeah, but I'm not sure how a topical, unless it's transdermal, will be entering your bloodstream because it's going to stay on your dermal level of your skin. Is going to go into the first layer, but I don't think it's going to enter your bloodstream. But once again, I'm not a doctor, so right. I speak to your healthcare professional to get better <laughs> advice. I'm just uh, stating as a as a sciencey guy. That's it. Right. I wish there were more studies, and it's like it's like when it comes to women, there there are no studies. Like we don't they don't know anything. Like even with the COVID vaccine, it's yeah. like how do pregnant women react? Oh, we don't know. Great. Great. Awesome. Okay. And I find myself in this class of just like being a guinea pig for everything. And you just have to like, kind of like make the best decisions. And you're like, well, this is how I'm going to do it. Um, hope this works. <laughs> We're all guinea pigs for the COVID vaccine. This is the largest observational study ever conducted for a vaccine that didn't go through proper channels. So if we start growing second heads and tails, uh, you know, that's that's going to be a great uh, outcome, right? I would love a tail because I, I can use like a third <laughs> arm, just like carrying things and just just for life. I wouldn't mind that. Maybe a third eye. Maybe there I have go. telepathic powers. It's, it's, it's all an experiment and it's getting more surreal every day. And we need weed to help us cope with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. 
so Len, how did you get into this? Like, what was your dream as a kid? Did you always dream of cannabis? <laughs> as a kid, I dreamt uh, of being a rock star. That was my dream uh, always. But as a kid, so I'll give you a little bit of background. I'll give you my story. I, I was uh, I was born in Lithuania. I immigrated here when I was uh, six years old. I, I know it's very very surprising for. <laughs> so yeah, and I, and I speak Russian too. So maybe. Oh yeah, Oh my god, this could be a whole separate podcast. <laughs> All right, we can, we can do it in Russian and have translation behind it. I have an accent, obviously, but uh, uh, but I can still speak and, and understand. But anyway, so when I we immigrated, I moved to Philadelphia. I was the kind of student that would sit in class. I was pretty smart when I wanted to be, but I would drift. And I would have all these different thoughts that pop in my head. So as a teenager, I was diagnosed with ADD. And they gave me prescription medication for that. And most of it didn't work. Some of it worked, but it all made me feel like shit. So what I what I did was um, I was hanging out with some older kids before school, and they said, hey, do you want to smoke a cigarette? And I was like, yeah, I'm a cool kid, man. I'm going to smoke a cigarette with these older guys. And I just started smoking cigarettes a little bit so I can be cool. So they had one cigarette, and we all got together. It was like four of us in a circle, and they passed the cigarette. I took a drag of the cigarette, inhaled. It didn't taste like a cigarette. I coughed. And I was like, and they were laughing at me. Oh, it's it's uh, weed. So they filled the cigarette with weed. And I was like, all right, that was my first experience. And I went back to class and my windows in my head narrowed and I could focus. And I'm like, wow, this is interesting. So it became my go-to medicine. And as it became my go-to medicine, I stopped taking all the other prescription medications. And as I was getting older, my parents would catch me. And like they're old, uh, you know, old school Soviet Union uh, parents. This is, you know, this is a drug and all that stuff. And they would get, I'd get in trouble. And over time, uh, I just said, when I got a little older, I was like, this is my medicine. I'm going to take this. And my dad's like, just don't bring it in the house. So one time I was, uh, uh, went out to a club. I had fake ID when I was a kid. So my daughter, if you're listening to this, uh, don't do what dad did. <laughs> did. But, uh, and then uh, they went in my car when I was sleeping and took out my little pouch and I had some weed and bowls there and we had a big like argument. They said, what if we, what if we call the cops? And they call the cops. So they did. They called the cops and tried to have me arrested. And uh, these two female cops came in and I was like, you can't do anything to me. I don't, I don't care. I only have a little bit of weed. I'll sign myself out. And, and they said, if it was my son, we'd just kick him the curb. So that's what my parents ended up doing. They, uh, they said, yeah, my dad said, you have five minutes. And I uh, packed my a bag and uh, literally kicked me out the door. The irony of that is my parents both consumed formulations that I produced now for different ailments and stuff that they have. So they came around full circle. That was sort of my, my childhood experience. And I became an activist. I became the president of the Cannabis Action Network. So I held the first rally at Independence Hall in Philadelphia for legalization. And my keynote speaker was this lady named Elvi Masika, who was one of the first people to get cannabis prescribed under the NIDA program, a federal cannabis that was cultivated in Mississippi. She had her jar with a USDA label on it, and she smoked in front of federal rangers. And I was like, yes, this is the future. And I was in Philadelphia back in 1993. So it took a few years, like 20 Five or so for Pennsylvania realized this. But the second moment that I had was when everybody stayed in my house and I was dating this girl who was an artist and she made the sculpture in my house. We got woken up to a loud noise. Something like crashed. And Elvie happened to walk into the sculpture that I had in my house and broke it because she was legally blind. She had degenerative glaucoma and she couldn't see. So this was the second time that I saw somebody medicate with cannabis and all of a sudden it alleviated her glaucoma and she could see again. And I was like, oh, well, it's not just medicine for me. It's medicine for other people. And that kind of started me on my on my mission. Yeah, it's medicine for so many things. I love what you're doing with 23andMe because I think it's like when it comes to older people, especially, it's so hard to get them to change their mind. And especially the older generation is, is, is more conservative and especially right. immigrants, right? Like my family's Russian immigrants too. And they're always like, oh, cannabis is bad. Cannabis is bad. But I'm like, you are on cholesterol medication. You're on these things. Like, why don't you go vegan? Why don't you smoke? Like there are other solutions besides like the state prescribed government syndicated, like authoritarian 
there's something about like patriarchy and authoritative regimes that still is like attached to like the immigrant mentality, you know, when you come over. So my my question is, you know, like, how did you get your parents to try it? Well, the first thing is I educated them as much as you possibly could. So we don't we're not necessarily a test for cannabis. We are a test. We focus on the endocannabinoid system. So we sequence somewhere around 700,000 SNPs, and I'll, I'll go into details of what we do. But because the first thing is you start with you have a version of cannabis inside of yourself. And to be able to start with education and under, and explain what the endocannabinoid system is, how do we create endogenous endocannabinoids? How do we know that we have deficiencies and what does it do? It helps to create balance and homeostasis. And, you know, for my parents, it was, let's start with cannabidiol. Let's start with CBD first, because it's not going to get you high. And then my dad was interested when we were in Jamaica of actually trying cannabis for the first time. And he didn't have a bad experience either. And I've uh, uh, tried it several different times. So it's about starting with that and understanding that you're not just a stoner. You're not just there smoking weed to get high. There's therapeutic parts of this plant that you can use for different things that are specific to you and starting what it is that you want the outcome to be. And now you can find the formulation that more aligns with you. And that's sort of like, you know, what our company does as well. I love that. Now, how did you start working with human and plant DNA? How did you, how did you get into it? Yeah. So I moved to California, Southern California, Los Angeles area about 12 years ago. And uh, my passion has always been the plan. And I, I dabbled in corporate America. I did this and that. And I was a commercial real estate broker for a, a little while. And when I moved to California, I was sitting in the in a real estate office and these guys walked in. And anyway, long story short is they, they wanted to open up a dispensary and they wouldn't tell anybody what they wanted to open up. And I helped them and they offered me a partnership. So I became a partner in the dispensary and we ended up opening five of them. So we were five dispensaries on the same brand. And it was a really interesting time. But the one thing that I kept seeing over and over was two people with the same symptomatic conditions that would consume the same cultivar and it would have a completely different experience. And one of my partners, he would always say, hey, you know, I'm an indica guy because that keeps me going all day. And when I consume a sativa, it makes me drowsy, makes me sleepy. I was like, it doesn't make any sense. It's the opposite. I always learned it's the opposite. So the type of ADD I have, I can multiple things at the same time. But when I get hyper-focused, when something really stimulates me, I'm obsessed with that one thing. And I started being obsessed with trying to find this out. And uh, I came across a video by a guy named Kevin McKernan, who was one of the first people to genetically sequence cannabis. And I started pursuing them and uh, started working with uh, their company as a consultant. What I did was I traveled on the U.S., in Canada and got plant material from different plants, uh, cannabis plants. So let's say it's Blue Dream. So I would get five Blue Dreams that would bring to my lab. I would extract the DNA and send it to Boston to a sequencer. And we started the first genetic library of cultivars called Canopedia. And their parent company was doing pharmacogenomics. So uh, PGX testing for different disease states using DNA. And we had a conference of doctors at Harvard Medical School that were treating kids with epilepsy using CBD. And they had tremendous results, like seizures from 100 to zero. But some of them were outliers. And they said, you know, the seizures are coming back or it's not working as well. So when we looked at their genetic profile, their biomarkers, we saw that they had a genotype in common, several of them, that were specific to a form of epilepsy called Dravet syndrome. And we ended up publishing on that. I had a aha moment where I said, okay, wait, there's biomarkers that are specific to a certain type of cannabis that works. So I approached them. I said, you know, we have plant genetics. We have human genetics. Let's merge the two together. They had no interest in it. They wanted to focus on the plant. So that gave me an opportunity to take, you know, some science people there, uh, build my own science team and launch Endocana Health in 2017. So the first, you know, six to seven months, all we did was research. We looked at every single SNP, which is a single nucleotide polymorphism that has a direct or indirect association with your endocannabinoid system. Once we did that, we had references for everything. We went to Illumina and had Illumina make a chip for us. So we created our own custom chip that sequences, like I said before, somewhere around 700,000 SNPs. 
And then we build our kit and our kit's a buckle swab. It's like you swab it inside your cheek, put it back in. You register it because we're HIPAA compliant. And uh, if you don't register, we won't know that DNA belongs to you, fully encrypted. And then uh, uh, you get your results. And I, uh, I can talk about the results. But you can also take your 23andMe or your Ancestry or any other test that you've done. You can upload. You don't have to swab. You can upload your raw data and get, get a re- report that way too. So that's how. That's fascinating. And you know, you mentioned Harvard. Um, Harvard has a really great business of cannabis club. Mm-hmm. And I popped into a meeting of theirs like uh, a few months ago because I'm, I think I want to apply to go to Harvard to either get my MBA or PhD in a few years. Like when my, when my daughter is going to be old enough to go to kindergarten, when she's going to be like five, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I want to do my own thing at Harvard. So I, I've just been looking at schools and I'm like, I just want to go back to school. I'm like, I'm the opposite. I want to do, I hate, I love to learn and I hate to study. So anything that I can get from like shortcuts to learning, but sitting in class is just not, I'm not, I'm not made for that. Well, you know, what's interesting. I'm ADD too. I'm definitely ADHD. I've never been diagnosed, but I can tell you, I probably even have hypomania. (laughs) Like that's my, (laughs) that's my thing. But um, what I actually did at college, I went to UMass Amherst and I created my own major because I knew what I wanted to major in and there wasn't a major existing. It was 99 and it was creative socially aware advertising. So I just created my own curriculum and that's what I could have done at UMass. And that's what I actually want to do at at, um, Harvard because they'll let you do the same thing. So I just want to create my own curriculum and then uh, launch a company while I'm there because I'm just going to like take Dream Nation to a new level, but I kind of need to be in an environment to do it. Like otherwise I just have to, I, I can't do it by myself because it's a very very large thing that i'm going to be doing yeah you community mm-hmm. so, so i'm so excited but there's so many great resources everywhere and i've been wanting to upload my own dna i just haven't had a chance to do it but i will do it and i will share my results yeah. because i know what things work for me i'm like i love gorilla glue i love girl scout cookies like i love all the sativas like i am a sativa but like i want to see the science of it and i'm and i'm a science nerd I just want to see what's happening. You know, you talk about like making cannabis personal. That's the whole entire basis of Endocana and the DNA. You actually published the whole entire book. It's called Making Cannabis Personal. And I was going to ask you, like, what is the biggest takeaway, I guess, from the book that people can take, can use health wise, right? Like from this product, you know, it can help people sleep better. It can help people have less anxiety. What have you seen? The book is basically a series of stories. It's my story, and it's also other people's stories that had adverse effects from certain cannabis that people don't talk about. And then finding what works for them helped to alleviate that adverse effect and help them find what exactly is, we say, endoline or genetically aligned with them. Some people already know what that is instinctually, like you were saying, sativa. There's no such thing as indicas and sativas anymore. We crossbred some of that out. So it's understanding of what cannabinoid terpene profile aligns best with you and also what part of the day and what it is that you want to achieve. You know, some people like a, a daytime formulation that's more like focus. And then at nighttime, they want something to help them unwind a little bit. So if you understand your profile, what works best for you, you'll be able to find those products that are more genetically aligned and matching to you. So the book is about those stories. It's about a football player that has 300-pound linemen running at him, and they're in flow, and they're quiet, and they're in their, you know, they're in their zone, and nothing bothers them. They're home, and they smoke a joint, and the window's open, the birds are chirping, and they start having a panic attack. And they don't talk about that. What is that? What are you consuming? Or it's the guy that, or, you know, was going through his divorce and was getting super depressed and was consuming cannabis and was making him more depressed because he was turning on the genetic expression for that gene. Like there's a gene called COMT, C-O-M-T. They call it the warrior, warrior gene. So depending on where you are or there, depending on what profile you consume, it can actually trigger that genetic predisposition to express itself. So those are different things. You know, what the test shows you, our number one goal of the test and how we communicate to the FDA is we want to help people avoid an adverse event. So if you think about your DNA, it's your blueprint. It's what you start with. And our test is sort of your GPS, right? So it'll show you and guide you 
this lane over here or this road over here, and there's a traffic accident on there. There's road construction. You want to avoid that. This road over here is a much better road for you to take. It doesn't guarantee there's not going to be a pothole along the way. But, you know, most people, studies have shown they start from four to eight different products until they find a product that works for them. Number one, when you find flour, you were talking about Gorilla Glue. Well, Gorilla Glue, the name is Gorilla Glue. You can have multiple Gorilla Glues. As I was, I think, uh, as I was started saying before, when I was doing the genetic sequencing of the plants, I can take five Gorilla Glues. Two of them may be identical genetically. They are really Gorilla Glue or what the profile is. Two of them are related. They have genetic drift. So they're not even Gorilla Glue anymore. They're a variation of that. And one of them, somebody put the name Gorilla Glue on it and has nothing, not even close of a profile. So we can't trust these names and genetic drifts. But once we understand what our profile is, you know, it's some. that's when we start aligning the products that are better suited for us so we can avoid those adverse experiences and then continue to experiment with different cannabinoids that really work for us for our overall health and wellness. That's really the goal. Right. And that makes so much sense because sometimes I'll have Gorilla Glue and sometimes I'll have like a more hyper experience on it. And I'll be like, well, I wonder, like, I'm like, did I have coffee that day? Did I? And I always think about it, but that makes total sense if they're like modifications inside of the strain. Yeah, well, it's it's twofold. Number one, when you're cultivating anything, the further you're away from the seed source, the more possibility of genetic drift that you have. So cloning itself creates genetic drift. Depending on how tired your mother is that's supplying the clones, you have genetic drift there. Also, within your facility, you can have more light to certain plants. You can stress certain plants differently. So this plant is amazing because that's that's what we actually got indicas and sativas because the, when the plant is stressed, it's it's expressing its profile. So the terpene profile that the plant expressed originally in their land races are the terpene profiles from those original indicas and sativas based on the climate, the origination, the predators of that area, you can smell it. The original indicas from Southeast Asia or from uh, Nepal and all that other Kashmir region, they expressed really skunky, diesely smells, which is associated with myrcene, which is the primary terpene profile in those indicas. And the, and the Durbans and the, the Mexico and the Hawaiian strains, they express a different kind of smell, which is more associated with limonene, more fruity, which gives you that boost of dopamine, gives you that that's up. So those were the original sativas and indicas. And as uh, we crossbreed and crossbreed and crossbreed, we bred most of that out. And we even bred out the minor cannabinoids because we're so focused on the high THC. Now we're starting to understand that better with tissue culture samples. So I think in order for us to have consistency in our cultivation practices, we have to start establishing those standards. You know, plant itself, it's a plant. It has multiple components. It's going to grow. It's not going to grow exactly the same way until genetic editing comes in, which is a big part of, you know, cultivation of the future. As much as people hate it and they, you know, Monsanto and all that other stuff, we're going to have any cannabis because big ag is going to be a part of this. And in order for us to have consistency, we need to start adding some of those elements in there. Yeah, it's interesting because I know that Monsanto is trying to get in the game too. So that's like that's like they're, a they're huge. In. They're, in. they're in, yeah, they're in. <laughs> oh yeah, because that's in. that's that's a game changer right there, you know, on on the supply and chain level and to all these other different you know small competitors too. But you know, I was going to actually ask you um, for people listening who don't know what terpenes and cannabinoids are. I figure like maybe we can just like do a brief thing of uh, what they are and how they interact with our DNA because humans have um, a cannabinoid system already. We already have cannabinoids. Do people know what an endocannabinoid system is? Should I start with that? I figure I make this podcast as accessible to anybody who's just like tuning in, like a grandparent, right? To like anybody who's been smoking and knows what cannabinoids and like terpenes are. Just a quick overview. Let me just start with the endocannabinoid system. So the endocannabinoid system is our primary modulating system. It modulates different systems within our bodies. And it does this through, like, if I were to give an analogy, think of it as the puppet master of different systems. And it gets signals like salmon swimming upstream. 
So it gets signals from our other systems and releases its own endogenous endocannabinoids to be able to modulate some of the things that we have going on in our bodies because the goal of the system is to maintain balance or homeostasis. And it produces these endogenous endocannabinoids. One of them is an andamite, which the word anon means bliss in Sanskrit, so it's a bliss hormone. And THC, which gets you, you know, high, I guess, mimics the way an andamite works within our bodies when it binds to the CB1 receptor. We have the second endogenous endocannabinoid, uh, 2-AG, which is sort of when you consume cannabidiol or CBD, it stimulates some enzymes that, that replicate the way 2-AG work uh, within our bodies too. So THC, which is a uh, phytocannabinoid from the plant, uh, think of it as uh, your brain, your central nervous system, CB1 receptor when it binds. CBD is more immune and digestive system and sometimes works as an agonist of THC to help uh, with the binding of uh, when you have too much THC. So those are the cannabinoids of the plant. Uh, the phytocannabinoids are genetics. So the plant produces hundreds of different cannabinoids. We only studied probably about 120 to 140. We basically maybe even studied about 15 of the primary ones. We've seen there's many more cannabinoids and substances. We've seen them on mass specs and et cetera, but we don't know what they are yet. The terpenes are the essential oils that the plant produces. All plants produce essential oils. In cannabis, these essential oils combine with the cannabinoids to produce an effect. So we already talked about myrcene and we talked about limonene and there's different ones. And they're also found in different substances of it. You know, like mangoes have some myrcene and uh, limonene is uh, in citrus fruits and uh, linalool is found in lavender. So sometimes your nose kind of knows, you start smelling it. This smells a little peppery. Oh, the beta-caryophyllin maybe is one. Or this smells uh, like lavender a little bit. That's linalool and, and things of that nature. So the plant has somewhere around close to 500 different components to it. When you start combining those components together, they combine with your genetics to create a, an effect. It's a very, very unique plant. And, you know, Big Pharma uh, has had many difficulties throughout the years of trying to replicate that. So they came out with synthetics, Marinol, and all these other things. They don't really work. So GW Pharma has shown the way for Big Pharma to be able to say, we're going to take an isolated molecule from the plant, and we're going to take it for a specific indication and get it past the FDA process just like any drug. So now we have a formula. I don't think there's any avoiding it. There's going to be a formula for pharma. They're going to start isolating. And what they're doing now is isolating and filing IP on these ind individual molecules. And then we'll have probably sort of the, a supplement uh, way of cannabinoids. So you have multiple products with terpenes and cannabinoids in those that people can actually consume that are going to be available in your health shop, your GNC, your vitamin shop, et cetera, and maybe for indication-specific things. You know what? I was going to actually ask you, in your research, mm -hmm. have you seen different profiles that pop up that are like adverse to a lot of stuff? Have you been noticing patterns? Yeah. So um, let me give you an example. Uh, since we started establishing, definitely seen patterns, and I'll, I'll give you real-life examples, and those are some of the ones that are in the my book, Making Cannabis Personal too, but I'll give you, I'll give you a couple of examples. So there's a gene called FAAH, F-A-A-H. It produces an enzyme that breaks down anandamide. And we just talked about anandamide being our endogenous endocannabinoid. So what happens a lot in our bodies is we have like a cause and effect. So somebody cuts us off in traffic. We have a stressful event you know, uh, dopamine, adrenaline, neuropinephrine, cortisol is released. And now that our, you know, our, our brain realizes that there's no lion chasing us in the jungle, our fight or flight has to subside, it releases other chemicals to get us back to homeostasis. One of them is anandamide. So now it releases anandamide, we're going back to homeostasis. But if you have a genotype specific on FA, I think it's homozygous uh, genotype on FA, which means you have two allele combinations, the same exact ones. And I'll explain what, what that is uh, from DNA if, if you want. What happens is this person produces more pho than the average population. So think of it as Pac-Man eating your anandamide. 
you have more uh, fa, less anandamide. When you have less anandamide, you're more prone to that cortisol not being still staying in your body longer, which actually can raise your pH level, make you more acidic. Your immune system doesn't really like that too much, so it creates a response, and the response is inflammation. So we're going to feel inflammation usually in our joints, our ankles, our knees, etc. And all that is is because we are not producing enough anandamide as much as the average population. Knowing this about yourself, you can subsidize with phytocannabinoids like THC uh, and other uh, terpene profiles. However, if you take too much THC, then it can actually trigger that stress reactivity in that individual. So we've seen lots of different patterns. Also, some of the other things to remember is metabolic function. We all metabolize things differently. So especially edibles. I've seen probably the most issues that we have people contacting us is they consume an edible. And I had a reporter recently. So here's, here's a perfect example. She was doing a story on us Three months went by. I didn't hear from her. Sometimes I don't remember who the, it was a published or not published. And then she writes me an email. She's like, hey, I'm so sorry I dropped the ball on this, but you forewarned me of this because I went over her DNA results and I had a psychotic episode. I'm like, oh, what happened? So perfect storm. Number one, she's a poor metabolizer of THC through her digestive system. So edibles are not highly suggested for her. She took edibles, gummies, I believe. That's number one. Number two, she had a genetic predisposition to anxiety and, and stress. What happened was because THC is a vasodilator, and some people get really freaked out because your blood vessels dilate, your heart pumps faster, and like, oh my God, my heart's, it's normal. But some people, when you have the genetic predisposition to anxiety, this can trigger that anxiety and that paranoia. So she had that. And the third thing, there's a gene called AKT1 that's associated with psychosis. And that gene got triggered as well. So that perfect storm got her hospitalized. And one of the things that she was most upset about was she has a medical condition that she needs to take cannabis for. It was recommended by her doctor. And she was so upset that she couldn't take cannabis anymore and she had to go back to other medication. That was her biggest complaint. Not that she had an episode that, that she could have avoided. So we went through, I went through her results again with her. And I said, well, it says, you know, reduce your THC level, get something more balanced, change your terpene profile. A week later, she sends an email and a testimonial and everything. And the one thing that I remember, she said, thank you so much for helping me be me again. So it allowed her to be herself. She doesn't have to worry about that kind of stuff anymore because she found that profile that matches best with her. So those are some examples. Yeah, and gummies are no joke because you don't really know how much is in a gummy, even though they say how much is in a gummy. It's it's how much is in the gummy. Also, is it nano? Uh, so is it is it faster absorbing? And your liver converts THC to eleven oxyhydroxide delta nine tetrahydrocannabinol. I know it's a long word. So think about it as eleven OH. If grandma's listening, just grandma, just remember your liver when you eat THC your liver converts it to a different substance that can be 5 to 50% more powerful than THC when it goes back and binds to your CB1. So just understand that if you're a poor metabolizer, you know, just be aware, maybe that consume sublingually or consume a different way. If you're a rapid metabolizer, you may take so much that you're really creating really expensive urine. Maybe you don't even need that much. So being able to do that, and the third part of it is drug-to-drug interaction. And I think Almost nobody talks about this. And this is super, super, super important. And we have a, a drug interaction database as well. Certain prescription medications interact with cannabinoids where they can induce or inhibit the efficacy, like things like SSRIs, like antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication. You consume that with your cannabinoids, it can actually affect the efficacy of your prescription medication. And I know a lot of people are like, I'm taking CBD with my antidepressant medication. Well, See your healthcare professional, talk to your doctor, but I wouldn't take them at the same time. I would stagger. It doesn't mean you can't. How much do you stagger? Well, it depends what type of metabolizer you are. If you're a rapid metabolizer, maybe 30 minutes. If you're a poor metabolizer, 
you know, wait a few hours. So those are the kind of guidelines that we will be able to present to the individual so they can make much more informed decisions in their overall endocannabinoid use. Yeah, it's so interesting. You know, you kind of briefly touched upon stress and, and genetics. And uh, there have been a lot of studies that say that a lot of stress is also like genetically linked too, which I think is really interesting, like intergenerational stress. And I really think about how that affects people, like, you know, especially, especially people who come from like war torn countries, like Lithuania, like Russia, you know, like I'm an anxiety case. Like I've been really like mellow, like in my thirties, I started to get a lot mellower, but I think about that often about how how genetics play into it and what we inherit from our family and the stress that we inherit that's generational, generational trauma and, and using cannabis to help with it through, to just like manage just day-to-day anxiety. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. They used to think that DNA is cleanly passed on. So the, the way DNA works, you know, you have your genetic predispositions and some that you're locked in with, right? You have your DNA for like your skin color, your eye color, uh, how tall you're going to be, or your male pattern baldness. It's just going to happen, right? But certain DNA, you're predisposed and your lifestyle can actually turn those on and off like light switches. So your nutrition, your mental state, your your phytocannabinoid, your endocannabinoid system, all these different things are things that you can take action on to turn them on and off. And then your DNA, I talked about alleles, so I don't want to use uh, words that, that I can't explain what they are. But basically, the way DNA works, uh, we have computers talking a binary code. They have ones and zeros, and then we have a user interface on top of that. And DNA has a four-letter sequence, a C, a T, an A, and a G. These are called nucleotides. The combination of those letters are your genetic predispositions. There's, those are your genetic materials. So uh, when you have two of the same letters, it's called homozygous. When you have two different letters, it's called heterozygous. But that's just kind of DNA 101 in a really, really short uh, way to ex- explain that. So we used to think that when we get our our C's and our, our, and our A's, that they come in clean from our parents, that we get to build our own experiences starting from scratch. They did a study of, if I remember correctly, of uh, children of Holocaust survivors. And they started seeing that there's methylation pathways that are being transmitted from your parents to the children. So there is some trauma in their DNA already. And that anxiety is being passed on from generation, 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 you know, so this is something that's being studied right now. We all know that we have some neurotic genes from our parents that are passed on to us where it's going to, you know, express an anxiety, but now we have some science to be able to substantiate that as well. Yeah, I find it also fascinating. And, you know, I feel a little awkward speaking about genetics and DNA because it's something that like I'm very not familiar with. Like I'm very, I'm very far out to see on this episode because I'm like, well, I don't really know the science behind it. I'm like, I like cannabis and I believe in cannabis, but I, I'm not like really into the science. So like me asking these questions, I'm like, I'm like way out there. So thank you for explaining things and, uh, and being patient. I'm just really also interested, you know, in genetics and cannabis and how also like, I wonder if there's a relation between cannabis and COVID and genetics, because apparently COVID is making people vulnerable due to their genetics, right? Like it's your genetic disposition, if if it makes you more prone to autoimmune diseases and things like that. And I, I wonder if there's a link, like I've been seeing a lot of articles pop up that say cannabis is actually helping prevent COVID. I've had a few friends that have swore that they haven't gotten COVID because they smoke weed. Like my friend who smokes a lot of weed and then her husband got COVID and she ended up taking care of him and she did not get COVID. Like she doesn't have the antibodies in her. She was fine. So I keep on having these conversations like is COVID, is cannabis saving me from COVID? And I don't know. You know, I I don't know if there have been studies on this. I mean, I personally believe that uh, anything you can do to help modulate your immune system with knowledge that you have that. Cannabis is definitely shown in many studies that it can do that, especially CBD. There's been a lot of documented studies that CBD helps with uh, immune response and to help with your immune system. Now, smoking in general, if you have COVID, it's absolutely not recommended by any healthcare professional 
to consume anything in your lungs because your lungs are already impacted. Uh, so there's other ways to consume sublingually through your buccal cavity, et cetera. But there are studies right now about certain cannabinoid and terpene profiles that are people are looking in the, uh, to help prevent and to help treat the inflammation that's associated with COVID, like some of the cytokine or expression. So that we have a partnership in Israel that there is a study that's already in its second phase and going to be going to clinical on that formulation to be able to address the inflammation that's being provoked by COVID. So treatment is absolutely uh, something that we're looking into, and it's been really, really effective and shown in, in observational studies. However, like, you know, COVID, the same thing you were talking about genetics, we have different ideas and, you know, there's some studies, university studies, now Stanford is looking into that as well. Think about it this way. We have the receptor site where COVID attaches and enters, which is the ACE2 receptors. So you, we talked about these uh, allele combinations, right? The, these uh, uh, nucleotides. So you have several different combinations and different possibilities on the ACE2 receptors. So Sometimes it attaches to people that have homozygous, heterozygous, depending on what your combination is for that gene. Then you have what's called the interleukin genes. And I'm getting really sciencey. And I'm not a geneticist and not a scientist. So please call me out if anybody's listening to this. You're, you're full of shit. But there's interleukin genes, IL, 4, 6, 10. These are associated with your immune system. So these are genes that are fully associated with your immune system. And there's different combinations of alleles or nucleotides you can have on those interleukin genes as well. So long-winded answer is absolutely 100%. Your DNA and your genetic predispositions will affect how COVID affects you. We also have part of our, we have nothing in our report that has anything to do with COVID. However, we have a report that talks about predisposition to immune susceptibility. You can have a predisposition to severity of influenza. You can have a predisposition to influenza in general. You can have a predisposition to allergic reunitis, which is just allergies. So since COVID is a novel coronavirus and influenza is a coronavirus as well, you can deduce possibly that if you already have a predisposition to influenza greater than the average population, and you have a predisposition to severity of influenza, you may have a greater chance of having a severity of having those uh, side effects from COVID greater than the average population as well. And this is the data that's being gathered by scientists all over the world. So we can start making whatever the next version of a real vaccine is going to be. And I'm not saying this is a fake vaccine. I'm just saying this is a vaccine that's an RNA vaccine with boosters. But when it's specific to people's genetic predispositions and their genetic expressions, now we may be able to have something that's specific for those individuals because some of them are asymptomatic. Some of them are symptomatic. If we can find those patterns, maybe that's a way for us to be able to do that. And cannabis can be a, a great tool in being able to mediate some of that, I guess, uh, for lack of better words. That's so fascinating. Yeah, I'm really excited to look forward to the research. And speaking of research, I was actually going to ask you, like, what's next for EndoDNA? Like, if you can share it, or maybe you can't share yeah, it. I mean, we, we definitely share lots of different things. So we are involved in clinical studies right now. So we just completed our first one that's going, that's being published in the next 30 days. It's on cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome, CHS. So we found some interesting patterns that people with certain genotypes are much more prone to CHS than, than others. Really interesting because the, the combination of these genes together are in 0.2% of the general population, but they're in over 60% of our cohort. So those are the kind of studies we're doing. We have another one on pain. So we're, we're conducting a lot of different studies all over the world, clinical studies and observational studies under institutional review boards. The other thing is products. We have products that we say are, are more genetically aligned. Uh, we have physician-grade products and we have other products and formulations that are patent pending that we license out to manufacturers from around the world that can use our formulations to make better genetically aligned products. And then uh, the third thing is our concierge service. So one of the things that we learn is that people want to dig a little bit deeper. 
they want to understand the results, not just on their own, but also have somebody go over the results with them and maybe suggest or recommend a healthcare professional, especially if they have a certain disease. So one of the things we're launching is a concierge service. So somebody along with the kit, they'll have somebody they'll be able to go over the results with them briefly and then make a recommendation through telemedicine if they need to speak to a healthcare professional. So we want to just help our customers with greater handholding so they feel more comfortable. And then feedback, give us feedback. How is that product working for you? So we can modify those things, provide better data to the entire industry so we can make more effective products. I love that. That's great. You know, concierge services are always so wonderful because you can dig a little deeper because there's always room for digging a little deeper. And it's it's so interesting. And, um, you know, the first study that you mentioned, I was going to ask you what that was. It was that when you actually like smoke too much THC. Is that what that is? We don't know if it's exactly if you smoke too much THC, but I can tell you the, the symptoms. People that are more frequent consumers of cannabis, sometimes there's a sm- very, very small population that seems to have a really adverse effect from that. They end up throwing up. And uh, getting nauseous and have abdominal pain. That's that's really what is described in this in the syndrome. It's been underdiagnosed for many years. We don't know for sure if it's a pattern of cannabis and other things. But what we've been able to find is a genetic pattern for people that are expressing these symptoms that are specific to you know these series of genes. So at the very least, we can show people that they're predisposed to having a potential of CHS or cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome more than the general population. So yes, this is uh, seems to be an adverse effect of uh, cannabis consumption on its face value. That's so fascinating because I was reading up on it when I was researching all about this podcast and I I was like, I've never heard of this before. And then one of the other side effects was like excessive showering with hot water. And I was like, that's an interesting one. Well, it seems seems that hot water seems to alleviate the symptoms for people. Not to give away the, the findings too much, but there is a connection to the vagus nerve and the vagus nerve, Mm. it does feel better under heat. And there is a trigger of something called cyclical vomiting syndrome, which is an actual disease that's been documented. So all these things, combinations together could be a reason behind this this adverse effect, but it'll be published in a journal shortly. And now we can talk more freely about yeah, I'd love to, you know, maybe when it's published, we do like an Instagram live or something as a follow-up. That would be really interesting. There's so many things I can talk to with you, but we're, we only have an hour. So my final question to you is, uh, what is your dream as an adult? I mean, there's so many dreams as an adult. I mean, my goal is to be able to give back as much as I possibly could. And if I can do that while satisfying my dream as a kid to be a rock star. So I love more than anything, this, like speaking on stage or having this conversation, besides anything else I do in my business, this is what I love. And and for me, going on stage and talking in front of people gives me my rock star moment. So I still get the energy from the crowd and all that stuff. And by taking that and then giving it back to help people, this is really my my goal is like, I satisfy my my childhood dream of being a rock star, and I'm also contributing. And this is the main thing that we want to do. We want to make sure that, you know, my parents kicked me out for, for cannabis. There was such a stigma associated with that. If me personally and our company can make a difference in ending prohibition and getting rid of this ridiculous stigma around this amazing plant, that's my goal, to do it and to do it as a, you know, a rock star, I guess, too, having my moment uh, that'll satisfy my my childhood self as well. Well, any rock star needs a tour, right? There you, go. Let's go. <laughs> you, need, you need like an Endocana like tour bus, and you need to do a U.S. tour. I love that. I love that. Um, and I think that's so wonderful. And it's all about helping people, right? At the end of the day, and this podcast is all about helping people. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I created it to create a nation and to amplify positive frequencies and, and really help people, right? Inspire them and help them and, 
and get them to dig a little deeper and, and learn a lot more. I'm just really grateful that you guys exist. And you're doing such amazing work. And I'm so grateful that I met you through Wes, yeah. who is a friend of mine. And Wes is a freaking rock star. And I've been meaning to email him for the last like seven months, but it's been, I've had a baby. We went through a pandemic and I've also been running. So on the side, I don't talk about this, but I work as a creative director in pharma, big pharma. And I help large agencies launch products or just get them through the launch. So I've been like freelancing with a baby. I, I'm taking a break right now and just focusing on a podcast for six months because trying to do work with like a four, five month old, even with my mom helping, bless my mother. I'm trying to get her high. She will not do it. I'm like, I can't do it, but you try, should do try it. Try CBD first. That's always the great way. You know, it doesn't work on her. I have to get her a test. She's like, I do not feel it. She's like, what is this gummy? I do not feel it. I'm like, take it. You'll sleep better. And she's like, I do not feel it. <laughs> yeah, well... We have a formula. So my mom, my mom uh, has insomnia, and she took one of our formulations for pain. She has shoulder surgery, and now every single time she takes it, it knocks her out. She goes to sleep right away. So maybe that's uh, there's a product there for your mom. You know, all I'm, I can think of so many of our moms who have trouble sleeping for one reason or another. You know, like somebody who just went through hip surgery and all that stuff. So, so I hope they share it with their mom, and I hope that their moms tune in a little bit and they find a little bit of relief for whatever yeah, ails them. Because, and, and by the way, just just to say, there is also genetic predispositions towards insomnia and other things that we cover. So, some people are prone to that. And when you're consuming TH, some people don't understand when they consume a lot of THC to help them go to sleep, they're not getting good sleep anyway because their mind is active. It's like having a lot of alcohol and passing out. You're not really sleeping. You're not getting that REM sleep. So being able to fine tune what works for you can help uh, alleviate that as well. Thank you so much sure. for Thank being you. on the show. And I'm so glad we got to connect. And I'll send you my results whenever I get around to finally doing it. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Thanks for tuning into the show. I hope you enjoyed it. Please share it on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Dream Nation Love. It's not Dream Nation Podcast, it's Dream Nation Love because I think my single mission in life is to teach people how to love a little bit more and together we can save the world. So it's Dream Nation Love. Share it with your friends. Have a great day and go out and make the world a better place.